All right, so two weeks ago, we began our study um, in 1 Peter, and I gotta say, it's been a fascinating undertaking. Okay, so in week one, we talked about the transformed life of Peter and how God did this incredible work in him as I kicked the book off and as we uh, introduced both the letter and the man Peter. Week two, uh, last week, we talked about the Trinity and our salvation. And we were reminded uh, about how each member of the Trinity had a part in our salvation. Remember this? The Father thought it, the Son bought it up there on the cross, and the Spirit wrought it. This week, week three, we're gonna talk about authentic faith and what possessing that kind of faith will lead to in our lives. All right, so what is authentic faith? We start with scripture. It's summed up in the words of the Apostle John. All right, so here's his preliminary remarks in John chapter one. He said that Christ was in the world. How many, how many of you are glad that he came to this world? Right? Christ was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world, this is sad, did not know him. He came to his own, Israel, and his own people did not receive him. Here's the good news. But to all who did, and I want you to shout out the underlined word. Go ahead. Receive. Receive. Let that word sink in your heart today. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. All right, so when John wrote about authentic faith, I want you to note that he emphasized the personal reception of and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. From the scriptures, we get our definition. What is authentic faith? If you're taking notes, authentic faith is receiving. Can you say receive again? Receiving Christ as our personal. You gotta personalize this. It can't just be, yeah, a guy named Jesus died for the sins of the world. No, everybody look at me for a second. Listen, he came for you. He was born for you. He lived for you. He died for you. He rose for you. He ascended for you. And right now, you know what he's doing? He's praying for you. He's our intercessor, our high priest. You gotta personalize it. Authentic faith is receiving Christ as our personal Savior and Lord, which leads to a relationship with him. All right, so when we become convicted of our sin and we realize that the wages of our sin is what? You guys tell me. Death. You can't change God's word. The wage of sin is death, eternal separation from God in a place called hell. And so when we finally come to that realization and we become convicted of our sin. This is why parents, I encourage you, don't try, when your kids are are too young um, and they're not understanding it, don't try to get them to say the little prayer. You're not doing them any favors at all. God loves your kid, God's gonna draw your kid, let the Holy Spirit bring them under conviction of their sin because they can't get saved till they realize they're lost. And so when we come under conviction of our sin and when we realize that Jesus is our only hope because he's the only one who died for us and rose again. And when we receive, can you say the word receive? When we receive him as our personal savior and Lord, that's when we become children of God. And so 
that's authentic faith. And if that's the kind of faith we possess, it will lead to a certain kind of life. All right, so what kind of life does authentic faith lead to? As we go through our text today, we're gonna see, if you're taking notes, that authentic faith leads to a new life, and that's immediately when you believe, when you receive. A new life, look, look, look at this, a future life, a tested life. Now, a lot of people would rather just skip over those verses but as we go verse by verse, we don't skip anything. And then finally, thank God, a joyful life. All right, so let's pick it up in verse three. Right now, if you're looking at 1 Peter 1, verse three, can you say amen? All right, so here's the, here's the breathed out word of God. And by the way, how many of you guys believe that God is absolutely perfect? In him, there is no error. So anything that comes from God is perfect without error. This is breathed out by God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, because we're great sinners. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What kind of faith, um, I'm sorry, what kind of life does authentic faith lead to? If you're taking notes, that's number one. It leads to, from verse three, we get it, a new life. All right, so Peter said that God had this great mercy on us, and because God had this great mercy on us, he caused us to be born again. Now that phrase, born again, if you're in your Bibles, it should immediately remind you of Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. And so you remember in John three, the, the Pharisee of the Pharisees, Nicodemus, comes to see Jesus at night. And he comes as a man who's very religious, but he's very lost. He has a head knowledge, he doesn't have a heart knowledge. In other words, he has absolutely given mental assent, a mental nod to a certain list of theological truths about the true God. And that's important. I'm not doubting that at all. We should learn as much as we can learn about the Lord but he had not yet received God's Son as his Savior and Lord. And so Jesus, in this conversation, Jesus got right to the point. And Jesus said this, uh, we'll put it up on the screen, this is gonna be now uh, John chapter three, verse three. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is, can you say the next two words? Born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus is confused. And so he says in verse four, oh, wait a minute, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I love this, authentic questions. All right, and so here's what's happening. Everybody look at me, please. Jesus is speaking on a spiritual level about a spiritual birth, but because Nicodemus has never been born again spiritually, he's thinking on a natural level about another natural birth. What are we supposed to do? Climb back into our mother's womb and be born again? You know, that's kind of weird. Jesus clarified in the next verse. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born, look at this, of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. What did Jesus mean by the words water and the spirit? 
Well, in order to interpret verse five, you need to see verse six. Jesus clarifies, that which is born of flesh is flesh, water. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And so when Jesus referred to being born of water, he's not talking about baptism. Ladies and gentlemen, don't approach the scriptures with what we call ice a Jesus, E-I-S-E, Jesus. Okay, that's, that's what, what is that? That's reading into the text your own ideas. And you'll misinterpret the Bible every time. You need to practice exegesis, E-X, pull the meaning out. And the reason, and then the way you find out the interpretation of verses is keep them in their context and let the next verse interpret the verse before. All right, and so um, when Jesus referred to being born of water in verse five, it's obvious he was referring to a mother's water sack breaking and the subsequent natural birth of her child. How do you know that? Because he said in verse six, that which is born of flesh is flesh. He's talking about a natural birth there. But in verse five, when he says being born of the spirit, it's obvious he was born uh, speaking of the Holy Spirit coming and giving spiritual life and causing someone to be born of God. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Does this make sense to you guys? So if you're taking notes, here's your next point. We need two birthdays to enter the kingdom. And he's saying this to a religious guy because religion will not send you to heaven. And so first birth is natural birth. Second birth is spiritual birth on the authority of Jesus Christ. All right, so I know all of you guys have been born the first time, otherwise you wouldn't be here. The question, the million dollar question is, have you been born again? Well, how do I receive the second birth, pastor? Through authentic faith. What's authentic faith? Well, we already defined it, but I'll show you again from the words of John just two chapters before. Again, we're keeping it all in context. All right, so but to all who did, please shout out the next word, receive him, Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There's your spiritual birth right there who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. We're not talking about natural birth here. We're talking about being born of God. And so, as I've told you before, I was born the first time in 1966 in Waco, Texas. I was born the second time in 1984, yes, in Tampa, Florida. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Well, what happened in 1984 in Tampa, Florida? I received, can you guys say the word receive? receive. Jesus Christ as my personal savior and Lord. He came in and I was born again. For my first birth, I wanna say thank you mom. For my second birth, I wanna publicly say thank you, Jesus. And if you've been born again and you wanna thank Jesus right now, maybe put your hands together, shout something. Thanks God for new life. 
And so verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, because we're great sinners, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse four, to an inheritance. Man, listen, the future is so bright, we, we as Christians need sunglasses. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What kind of life does authentic faith lead to? Well, number one, it leads to a new life. But number two, it leads to a future life. All right, so regarding our future life in heaven, Peter said believers will receive an inheritance. Now I could go on and on in a six week series on what biblically is our inheritance, but I'm just gonna pull out two things from other scriptures. We know from the Bible that our inheritance includes, look, listen to this, a new body and a new home. And so regarding our new body, Paul said, for this perishable body. How many of you guys, every single morning when that alarm goes off, are reminded you have a perishable body? <laughs> right? For this perishable body must put on imperishable. It's gonna happen. And this mortal body must put on immortality. And so this is the final phase of our salvation. I know I keep drilling this in, but I really want you to get it. Justification, that is, I have been saved from the penalty of my sin. If you've received Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, you can rest in the fact you're saved. Sanctification, I am being saved from the power of sin. That means that I'm getting close to Jesus Christ. He's setting me apart. He's making me holy. He's, he is delivering me from the domination of sin in my life. All my life is a process. And then, woo, glorification. What is that? That is, I will be saved from the presence of sin as I live in my resurrected, immortal body forever and ever and ever. All because of Jesus, who paid it all on Calvary. And so concerning our new home, Jesus said this, one of my favorite, favorite passages. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Okay, so while you're living in this fallen world and going through all these trials and difficulties, and I know you're out there, hey, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my, here it is, Father's house. And by the way, it's a big house. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I love this, I will. You see that? See how certain his coming is? I will come again and receive you. You've received me, I'm gonna receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And so Jesus Christ, the carpenter, the mason, the woodworker, the stoneworker. Before he revealed his true identity as the Christ, guess what? He says, I'm gonna go up into heaven and I'm gonna build you a home. 
I'm gonna build you a place that's gonna absolutely blow your mind. And we know from Revelation 21 too that that of course is the new Jerusalem, which one day is gonna come out of heaven down to earth and there'll be a new heaven, a new earth and a new Jerusalem. That's our home. New body, new home. And in verse four, it says that this inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. All right, so everybody, please look at me. Here's what I know. Every once in a while, you just gotta pump the brakes, and you need to sila, you need to think about it. Because here's what I know. When we say amen, you guys go off into the world, you're gonna immediately go right back into that mode of, you know, what I gotta do in this life? What's next on the agenda? You know, and, and, and so, can we just, in church at least, pump the brakes, and we should do it every day as we spend time with God, but can we pump the brakes and think about our future home for a moment? All right, our inheritance that will happen if you're born again is imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading. Imperishable means that our new body and our new home will never be affected by mortality. In other words, we will be immortals. I know it sounds like a science fiction movie, but it's true. You're gonna be an immortal. And not only that, but our new body, our new home is undefiled. What does that mean? That means it'll never be soiled by sin. It's what the theologians call the impeccability of our future state. What does that mean? Impeccable. That means that when we get to our new home, our new environment, we're in our new body, sin's not gonna be anywhere around. We're not even gonna be able to sin. It's gonna be awesome. Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That means that our new body and our new home will never fade away. We're gonna absolutely be eternal. And I want you to get excited about the scriptures today. I want you to get excited and feel the passion of Peter's uh, inspired thinking here. He says in verse three that because we've been born again and now have been birthed spiritually as children of God, verse four, we are guaranteed an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and will never fade away. And if that's not good enough news for you, If that's not good enough news for you, in the meantime, as you're walking on this earth, this fallen world, experiencing all these trials, God is keeping you, he's guarding you, he's preserving you by his power until you get home and you get that inheritance. This is the best news ever. What are we doing as Christians? being conformed to the world. No, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We gotta get our heads out of the world and we gotta get our heads into the word of God so that we can rejoice about our coming inheritance. He's guarding you if you're born again. What does that word guarded mean? It means, in the Greek, to protect. How many of you are happy, thankful that you have a father who loves and protects you? Every good dad protects his kids. To protect, to keep, by watching God's eyes on you. Just like that parent's eyes, always on that toddler. His eyes on you, you're his child, loves you. 
See, the devil's always whispering all these lies in our ears about how God's mad at us. He's ready to kick us to the curb, kick us out of the family. Stop listening to the lies of the devil. Listen to the truth of God's word. What does the Greek word mean? To protect, to keep by watching and guarding. Look at this, to preserve. Can you guys say the word preserve? preserve. To preserve one for the attainment of something. This is one of the many reasons why I believe in eternal security, because not only is our inheritance being kept up there in heaven, we are being kept while we're down here on earth. Not only is our inheritance being guarded up in heaven, we're being guarded down here on earth. Not only is our inheritance being preserved up in heaven, we're being preserved down here on earth. Why? Because it ain't, a, sorry for the bad English, it ain't about you or me. It's about Christ and he paid it all on the cross. He did it all. We're recipients of his grace. And so now, in verse six, he says, in this, the salvation, you rejoice. Yeah, it's amazing. And now, of course, a lot of people like to skip down to verse eight, but we're, we're diving in. Are you ready for this? In this, you rejoice, though now, in this fallen world, for a little while. How many, how many, how many of you are glad that it's just a little while? <laughs> Whew. right, if necessary, and often it is, you have been grieved. Sorry to disappoint you. It's all not about health, wealth, and prosperity. You have been grieved by various trials, they come in all shapes and sizes. Verse seven, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What kind of life does authentic faith lead to? It leads to a new life. It leads to a future life. And mark it down. It absolutely leads to a tested life. While we are waiting for our future home in heaven, here's what I know, we're gonna have a tested life on earth. And so in verse seven, Peter compares our faith being tested to gold being tested. All right, so how is the genuineness of gold tested? It's tested by fire. And how is the, uh, our faith the genuineness of our faith, how is that tested? It's tested by trials. It's tested, according to Peter, who's being inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's tested by fiery trials. This is just part of living in this fallen world, and so the ancient goldsmith knew that inside that rock, that, that crude gold ore, that there was pure gold in that rock. And so it was his job to extract the impurities in order to find the gold in the rock. All right, so how did he do that? He did that by putting the ore into the crucible, into the furnace, and heating that thing up. And the hotter the crucible became, the more and more that, that ore began to liquefy, and the impurities began to rise to the top. 
where those impurities could be skimmed away. Ladies and gentlemen, why in the world does God allow fiery trials to come into our lives? Well, sometimes it's because he wants sin to be revealed in the heat, and he wants it to be repented of, and he wants it to be skimmed away. And so, this is what he does. He burns away the impurities, he pours out the gold, he later makes something beautiful. Warren Wearsby, one of my favorite authors who's been with Jesus now for a couple years, he said, it has been said that the Eastern goldsmith kept the metal, the gold, in the furnace until he could see his face reflected in it. You say, what does that have to do with me? Everything, because Wearsby then said in his next sentence, so our Lord keeps us in the furnace of, what's the next word? Hey, welcome to church. So our Lord keeps us in the furnace of suffering until we reflect the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. Again, why does God allow fiery trials to come into our lives? Sometimes, okay, Get that word. Sometimes it's so that our sin can be revealed. It can rise to the top. It can be identified, repented of, and skimmed away. That's sometimes. Other times, we're gonna see in a minute from Romans, he's just molding us and shaping us and producing these amazing character qualities into our life. He's making us holy. He's making us Christ-like. See, listen, there's a purpose in your pain. God's at work and he's making you and I into something much, much better. Okay, so what should our attitude be? Should our attitude be like the little toddler who's not getting their way, stomping their feet? No, I don't like that. You know, I wanna go to another church, (laughs) hear something a little more positive. Should that be our attitude, or should we get real? Should we have a realistic view of our life here on earth and have the attitude of Job? who went through one of the worst trials ever recorded, and yet Job said, God knows the way that I take, and when he has tried me, I'm gonna come forth as gold. Love it. Job was absolutely determined that he's not gonna jump out of the crucible prematurely. He's gonna stand and allow God to do whatever work God wants to do. And you guys need to know that God knows the way that you take as well. Not just Job, he knows you, because you're his child. His eye is on you. He loves you. He knows the way that you take, and he's in absolute control. Listen, for the Christian, there is no chance. Can we remove that word from our vocabulary? When we use that word, it it shows how much we don't know about God's word or God's sovereignty. There is no chance. God is in control. How do you know that? Romans 8, 28, all Things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. All means all. The seemingly good things that we love, the seemingly fiery trials that we don't like so much. And even all those various trials, God, who's sovereign, who loves us, he's working all that together for our good and for his glory. And so listen, when God puts you into that crucible of a trial, don't worry. Don't be afraid. Don't complain like I sometimes do and want to run away. (laughs) Get me out of this trial. 
No, have the attitude of Job. Let's all have the attitude of Job that, man, I am gonna stay in here as long as it takes. I'm gonna become like Christ. I'm gonna come forth as gold. And end of verse seven, when Jesus comes back, our genuine faith is gonna result in praise and glory and honor to him. Is this making sense to you guys? All right, so let's look at verse eight. Though you have not seen him, Jesus, you love him. How many, how, how many of you guys love Jesus this morning? Amen. Right, you're not ashamed to say it. You're not embarrassed to say it, he's your hero. We love Jesus, let the world know it. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And I like this, you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What kind of life does authentic faith lead to? It leads to a new life. It leads to a future life. It leads to a tested life. And it leads to a joyful life. Someday, it's gonna happen, but someday when we see Jesus face to face, you gotta know this, you're gonna be filled with joy. Like, never before, but, but here's the good news this morning. You don't have to wait to heaven to experience joy. You can have joy right now. Peter just said, even though we don't see him right now, we still rejoice with joy inexpressible and filled with glory, why? If you're with me, say amen here. Why, why can we have this joy here in this fallen world with all these trials, why, why? Here's why, because when Jesus went up, who came down? The Holy Spirit the forgotten member of the Trinity. He's come down to be our comforter, our teacher, our guide, and the fruit of the Spirit is love. And those of you who know the second fruit, shout it out, go ahead. Joy. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. In other words, we can have joy right now. Why? Because the Spirit lives inside of us. No matter what you're going through, you can have that joy. Check out what Paul wrote uh, to the Romans. He said, we rejoice in our good times. <laughs> well, yeah, but also in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. There's a purpose in your pain. Don't ever forget that. Because through suffering, God is producing endurance and character and hope in your life. Life, you say, but it's hard, pastor. I know, but it's wonderful as well because the very next verse says this, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the who? Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Wow. Did you guys know the Holy Spirit was called the happy spirit by the early Christians. The happy spirit, you know why they called him the happy spirit? Because right in the middle of their suffering, he would pour out God's love in their hearts. Right in the middle of their pain, he would give them this, this joy inexpressible and filled with glory. And they called him the happy spirit, why? Because God is with us. He's with us in this fallen world. 
as we often sing, there's another in the fire, right? Standing next to me. So if you don't believe that, just ask, go back to Daniel 3, and ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because after they were literally thrown into a fiery furnace, here's what I know. The Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar the king looked into that furnace and he said, there's not three down there, there's four. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. And so what does that mean? Here's what it means. That the next time you feel the heat, you need to smile. The next time you have the trial, you need to smile. And I know you're probably gonna take your fingers and push up your lips, right? Because nobody likes it. But you need to smile. Why? Because God is with you in the fire. Listen, don't, don't misinterpret what I'm saying today. I'm not saying that when you feel the heat, you ought to smile because trials are so much fun. No, right, right? Oh, I lost my job today. Woo! Oh, I got into a car accident. Praise God, right? My best friend just stabbed me in the back, tore me up on Facebook, whatever. Woohoo! I'm not saying that at all. The doctor says it's cancer. Yes! No, that's not what I'm saying. Listen, if you're listening to me right now, say amen. Don't miss this. I'm not saying that we should smile when we feel the heat because trials are so great. I'm saying we should smile when we feel the heat because Christ is in the fire with us and he's doing a work in our lives. He's forming us and conforming us into the image of Christ. And I'll say it another way in case you're not getting it today. It's not that we like the heat. Nobody likes the heat. I'm not talking about the basketball team. It's not that we like the heat. We like the result of the heat. What's the result? Endurance, character. How many of you guys know our, our culture needs character right now? Amen. Endurance, character, hope, Christ-likeness. God's at work. All things work together for good. He is sovereign. Stop buying in to all the stuff that you read or hear. It's not all about health, wealth, and prosperity. It's about God's word. And it's about us becoming more like Christ. We're gonna wrap this up by going through verses 10 through 12, and then we'll be done. But please stay with me to the end. He said, concerning the salvation, the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, right? Daniel, Ezekiel. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted two things here. Don't miss it at the end of verse 11. The sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories of Christ. Okay, so everybody please look at me. Here's the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. They're looking into the future by the power of God. They're prophets, they're foreseeing things. They foresee two primary things concerning the Messiah. They're, they're seeing his suffering and they're seeing his um, glory. It's, and so my, my, my wife and I, we love at least once a year, we try to once every two years, we love going up to the Smoky Mountains. We love spending time in those beautiful mountains. All right, so, so when you see the mountain peaks, I'm not talking about in the front of your screen, I'm talking about in the back of your screen. 
when you see those beautiful mountain peaks in the distance, it looks like they're almost right next to each other. All right, so you can see the peaks, but you can't see the beautiful, lush, green valleys in between. What does that have to do with our text? Well, Peter is saying that the, the prophets were given power by the Holy Spirit to look into the future, and they saw two significant events concerning the Messiah. They saw his suffering, and they saw his glory. It's as if they saw two mountain peaks, Mount Calvary, Christ's suffering, and Mount Zion, Christ's glory. And so just like we, when we go to the mountains, look and we see those mountain peaks in the distance, and they look like they're right next to each other, so the prophets, way back in the Old Testament, looking forward, they saw the peak of Christ's suffering, they saw the peak of his glory, and listen to this, they looked like, to them, they were pretty close together. Let me ask you, is Christ's suffering and Christ's glory close together in time? Ladies and gentlemen, if he comes back in the next 10 years, it'll be 2,000 years in between those two peaks. The Old Testament prophets had no idea there would be two comings of the Messiah, and so they had all these questions. Who is he? When's he gonna come? And after a while, God reveals something very special to them. Here's your last verse. Please look at verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Everybody look at me real quick. You means you. <laughs> They're serving you. Christian, God revealed that to them. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you. Jesus, the apostles, their associates in the New Testament. By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look into. And so when it comes to God's revelation, you and I have such an advantage over the Old Testament prophets, whereas they could kind of only see the mountain peaks, we get to see the lush green valleys in between. The Old Testament prophets, through their prophecies, right, they gave us the mountain peaks, but Jesus and the apostles and the apostles' associates in the New Testament, they're now letting you and me look into those lush green valleys and see these amazing truths. What truths? The truths of the new covenant, the truths of Christ's teachings, the truth of the Spirit coming down and the birth of the church, the truth, the, the, the truth of the, the age of grace, the church age, the truth that Jew, who had ever thought about it, Jew and Gentile through Christ can be one body. All of these amazing, glorious, valley-type, beautiful, lush, green truths it's all there for the taking if we'll just open up our Bibles and just read all about it. So I wanna encourage you. I wanna encourage you to not just open your Bibles on Sunday morning. I wanna encourage you to open your Bibles on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't listen to everything they're shouting at you. 
wanting to conform you into their mold. Just turn it off. Turn on the Lord. Because here's what I know. That if a man really did get up and walk out of a grave alive 2,000 years ago, nothing's more important than that. Receive him. And then follow him. Amen? Amen.